Hello and welcome. I'm Gary Scheib. Thanks for listening in as we continue to talk with leaders in our community. Well, it has only been two short years since the Me Too movement went viral on the national scene. Awareness has been somewhat raised and as to what constitutes sexual harassment, sexual discrimination, abuse, exploitation, and so much more. But what do we do about it after recognizing it? Joining me today is Christine Rose, an author, speaker, and an award-winning certified business and executive coach. And she is the author of a new book called Life Beyond Me Too. Christine, welcome. Thanks for being here today. Thank you, Gary. Hi, it's great to be with you. Well, good morning. I'm glad to have you here because, like I said, this it's only been two years, but the Me Too movement is actually it's been around forever, hasn't it? Uh, a viral, you know, before the internet and hashtags and all the social media, we just didn't know about the size and scope and breadth of this. So maybe it's, uh, is it too elementary to start with uh, what the heck we're talking about? And when we say hashtag me too and me too, people say, yeah, I mean, that's like people being discriminated against or because of their sex in the workplace, or people being forced into uh, sex trafficking, or just what the heck? <laughs> Can I start with the basic? Yeah, in fact, you know, I, I was I was at a party and I was speaking with some people and they actually hadn't ever heard of hashtag me too at all. So if there's a listener out there who really like hasn't been, you know, I, one gal was very focused on dealing with Uh, an aging parent and just hadn't been involved in the news or keeping track. So hadn't even heard of Me Too. So uh, no shame if you haven't, but Me Too, as I'm talking about it in the book, is it it was started as a viral social media movement. It was October 15th of 2017. And in response to Harvey Weinstein and accusations of, of, of abuse uh, posted if if you anyone out there you know if you have a story have experienced sexual harassment abuse or violence and I don't have the quote right in front of me but it's something to that effect um, right respond me too to this quote and used hashtag me too and on Twitter it took off and then it took off on Facebook, resulting in 12 million posts by 4.5 million people in it in the first 24 hours. That's incredible. Right. So um, it really struck a nerve. Facebook said that 45% of its users had someone, a friend, who used that hashtag Me Too within the first 24 hours. And a year later, another 9 million posts using that hashtag. So what it did was continue the work of Tarana Burke, who started the Me Too movement, and that's a trademarked name. And she um, was working and has been working with uh, minority young women who've experienced sexual abuse and, and other, you know, just sexual violence and wanted them to know that they weren't alone. So Me Too definitely raised awareness that these stories are very commonplace. And, you know, it, it means a lot of different things. Like you say, you've named a few different sort of categories of this, you know, s- sexual harassment at work. Like, yeah, you can have the raise. I'll give you more job uh, opportunities if 
you know, sexual favors or, you know, uh, we can think back to different cultures and stereotypes of uh, a secretary being chased around the desk by a boss in the 50s, you know, and that was acceptable then. All of a sudden things aren't acceptable. Uh, so it, for some people, they belittle that. So it's just overdoing political correctness and stuff. What's the, the blowback has been almost instant too then, right, wasn't it? People, men, you know, popped up and said, hey, you know, uh, I'm allowed to have my own opinion or whatever. And, you know, now I can't have women in the workplace because I'll be accused of sexual harassment. I mean, it's really started, you know, a lot of tension, but it's a conversation. That's part of the conversation, isn't it? I mean, let's make some clear definitions and measure this out. Yeah, exactly. And so, Gary, I do in the book really get clear on what is harassment and what is abuse and what is, you know, sexual violence, what's assault and what is entailed and what's legal and what's not legal. And, you know, we we go to work and we see a poster on the you know, while in our lunch break room or maybe it's behind a door and we never actually see it or we get an employee manual and a lot of people never read them. And, yeah, you get, you you get know, something you have to right? read this and check the box as you've read it. And But the conversation really goes deeper than that. And in fact, there has been a backlash too. But I, I want to encourage people as a coach, I, I always want to encourage people not to put people in boxes. And so... It's not a gender war issue. It's a deeper issue, and it's one that we need to take a look at individually and as communities, you know, in my mind, um, because really how it how it boils down, there have been so many different responses from men that I have talked to. There are many who absolutely were heartbroken that people that they knew had these traumatic things happen to them that they had never talked about. And so it actually opened the door for some healing in some relationships. Um, And then there are people who can really not relate to what's happened to anybody and they don't, you know, they don't know somebody who's come out with their story personally. And so they, they can't really relate as a, as a human to human about what's, what's gone on for people. Um, and so they might tend to want to politicize it. And there is, there has been a backlash and it's showing up in how, uh, people decide whether or not they want to mentor somebody at work or work in an office with a door closed anymore or, um, travel with someone at work. And, um, that not is not necessarily the answer either and so I think it's really important and why I wrote the book is I think it's really important for us to recognize that the kind of thinking that created the problem isn't going to be isn't going to be enough to create the solution we need thinking that goes beyond our current thinking in order to create a new reality and a new solution. Wow, that's that's a big part of this conversation is what's next, and that's what the title of your book, Life Beyond Me Too. I mean, that's, you're right, we've got to get to a new point. Um, any way to, and I want to get there with this today's conversation, we're talking to Christine Rose, she's the author of a new book called Life Beyond Me Too, and that's 
available soon, right? People can look that up on the internet and find uh, how to pre-order it now, but soon, within a month or two, I think, of this, it'll be uh, available. I think the book's website is on Facebook, right? Facebook.com slash Life Beyond Me Too. People can find it by searching Life Beyond Me Too, right? Yes. Um, any way to quantify what this, you know, the experience for girls, women, what this has done to them? I mean, this this must be, since it can be measured or, or talked about in so many different ways, the effects must have been different. And actually, in your book, you start each chapter with a, a story, right? I mean, it, it does tremendously different things to people. I do. And, you know, if you miss the Me Too social media movement, you might want to get the book to, to get an experience of what it's like to be reading stories from real people who shared them for the purpose of the book. And we did change the names and identifying details for their for their privacy but um it's really important to to recognize that there's such a a very diverse spectrum of activity and behavior that let that fed into people's stories and harassment happens in a number of places, not just in the workplace. So the, the book addresses all sexual-based discrimination and violence. And it talks about things that lead up to that, like what in the culture leads up to those decisions that people make to go ahead and make uh, somebody uncomfortable by how they behave without regard to whether or not they're uncomfortable. Um and so, you know, whether the discomfort is traumatic and the injury lasts a lifetime, the PTSD, I mean, people pay for rape. is It's deeply traumatic experience. And, you know, the, the effects can impact them economically. It impacts the businesses economically. It impacts the culture and the community. So it's more than just the impact to the victim. And I think one of the things that we fail to look at as people is how much are how much are we paying how much am i paying individually as a part of a community for other people's suffering because i'm paying whether i know it or not mm-hmm. because when people are hurting because of behaviors that we as a community tolerate or you know fail to address effectively it, that tear at the fabric of who we are Um, we're missing out. And I I can say this from personal experience because I grew up in a home with three abusers in my home, and I have personally experienced sexual violence that my counselor called severe, and I've done tons of work on it. It took decades to work through the sexual violence that I've experienced in my life. And I know that the contribution that I could have made to the community instead of dealing with my trauma was significant and it was delayed. And so if that's true just for me, imagine one out of every five young women who go to college is gonna be a victim of sexual assault because that's currently the number. And one out of every three women, according to the World Health Organization, are or will be victims of violence, either sexual or physical violence from their partner or sexual violence from a non-partner. That's one out of every three. So if you know three women, 
one of them is going to have a Me Too story, whether they tell it or not. And to me, that's just unacceptable. And it's time that we start having conversations that can lead to really changing how we interact with each other and create a, a positive, more positive future. Yeah, so that is that is tearing down the, the phrases, uh, boys will be boys, or a young college girl at a frat party, well, what did you expect wearing those shorts? Or um, the phrase, oh, what happens between me and my wife in our house is none of your business. I mean, you're talking about those are unacceptable because we're all part of this community and we're complicit in that if we accept those as norm. Is that what you're saying? Well, and it goes as deep as how do we teach our children to think about other people? And, you know, when we have a choice to interact with another person, do we do so from a place of respecting the wholeness of who they are? And, so rather than going into judgment, because the book is not about judging anybody, um, it's really about inquiry. It's really about helping the readers to, um, to go to a place of curiosity and to go to a place of advocacy for the best that we are in, in ourselves and in each other. Well, so you're a... You're a- business coach. Uh, you've been the, uh, an executive coach for a long time, and you've written this book in kind of that style, right? Uh, the way, uh, what's that approach? I mean, uh, you sort of started on it there. Can can these personal issues work in, you know, for people who've expect, experienced sexual violence and harassment and discrimination, these coaching methods? Uh, and give us, I don't know, the format of the book. Can you explain that yeah, on the radio? Yeah, I sure can. Um, and, you know, I love Pete Carroll, Uh um, right? And I love the Seahawks, whether they win or lose, and we win more than we lose. So it's just so awesome. Um, And when you see him on the sidelines cheering on the players and being involved and wanting the best for every player and being able to see what's happening on the field from a perspective that the player can't see. And, you know, anytime you reach an elite level, you know you've worked with coaches. And it's the same thing for business executives and for people who really invest in, the, in their own growth. Coaching is a profession now that has a body of best practices and ethical guidelines. It has an international organization called the International Coach Federation. There are other 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 international coaching bodies, but it it really uses um, that partnership between a coach and the client to help that client to broaden their view of what they can see uh, of themselves and of their situation to use questions and curiosity and um, and a conversation to create a direction and to create a vision for where that person wants to go and to accelerate that transformation and accelerate you know, what it is they want to change. It's not just one way I'm teaching, I'm telling you. Right. So you, you, as a coach, you engage in a, what do you call it, a curiosity. Let's learn. You've got to ask your own questions, sort of. You set up. What, do you, what else do you need to know? 
Right. In fact, if you have a coach and, you know, there's consulting in which I tell you, here's what you need to do based on my wisdom and expertise. And there's coaching where we're working together for you to come up with the solution that works best for you, given the situation that you're in, and to help you get out of it and to move where you want to be in your life. So this is all really vague. Um, and it may be hard for the listener to understand. I encourage you to go to my website at christinerose.coach and read what is coaching because it's written down for the visual learners. It's right there. You yeah. can go to it later. Say that website again. We Christine Rose, and that's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E-R-O-S-E dot coach. Yeah, christinerose.coach. Yeah. Yeah, what is coaching? That's right. I mean, a lot of people just not yeah. quite sure about that these days. Yeah, so I do bring into the book a coach approach to this conversation. So it's not about me telling people this is this is how we solve all the problems in the world. But it is about saying if we keep on doing the same thing, we're going to keep on getting the same results. And one of the things that Me Too did was create an awareness that these stories are not isolated and that this problem is really endemic in the culture. And so it's created an opportunity to address issues of power and of the use of violence and of sexuality and relationships and uh, all sorts of different kind of issues that um, really if we take advantage of the opportunity, we can decide if this is where we want to stay or if we have something better. We are talking with Christine Rose about uh, Life Beyond Me Too. Uh, She's written a book, and that is the title, Life Beyond Me Too. You can look it up on facebook.com slash lifebeyondmetoo. Again, her own website, christinerose.coach. And we're talking about, well, you've talked about this normal, what's been normal, uh, an unequal power balance between men and women for millennia, let's say. Um, we got to get to a new normal. Do you want to talk about that for a while? Is that a, that's a yeah. phrase you kind of throw out, right? There, there should be a new normal. How do we get to it? And what does it look like, I guess, that's without great... uh, gender discrimination and inequality, I guess. Thank you, Gary, for that. In the book, I use a model that I borrow from uh, Peter Deming and Robert Dunham's book, The Innovator's Way. And they they say that innovation comes from a, a, a moment where you have like an old rule set, and, and I call it the old normal. And then there's a, a transformational event that happens that allows people the ability to get outside of the perspective of the old rule set and look down on it and to see, you know, what has happened that's led up to the transformational event and then also be able to look into the future past that transformational event into what could be and creating a new rule set and I call it a new normal. So if we wanted, you know, in the next generation or two to have a world where not, you know, we don't have one out of every three women who are going to be victims of violence. If we want to have a a rule set that changes how people are treated, you know, so men aren't afraid of being 
uh, working with women because of fears of false accusations. So women aren't afraid of walking down the street at night. Um, you know, there, there, there have been times uh, that in history where that fear's been gone because of, um, and I kind of go into some of this in the book, um, and research has been done that shows that there are elements of violence in society that when they're absent, um, relationships between males and females are, are peaceful and they're, and they're not violent. So uh, we want to look at this opportunity as, okay, how do we go about creating new rule set for ourselves that would allow us to move into this world where there isn't any more violence? And, and you, you said in there somewhere about next generation or two, these kind of things sometimes, yeah, take a long time if we look at all of history. I mean, in some places in the world, fathers, uh, husbands can do whatever they want with their daughters or wives, right? I mean, culturally, things take a long time to move, but I like how you're saying, let's take the time to see and look at what the future can be. Any any glimpses of the, those things changing and happening just in the our society here in North America in the 21st century? In the Well, you know, we remember that it's only been, a, you know, it's been very short time yes. since women had the right to vote. It's yes. in, in 1972, it was illegal for women to have credit in their own name if they were married without their husband's permission. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So there have been a lot of changes. Um, but also... Um, change doesn't have to take as long as we think it's going to. That's a good you know, point, just too. Because something took a, a long time before doesn't mean it has to take that long, uh, long time now. And we have uh, tools available to us now that we didn't have 50 years ago that we couldn't have even imagined having. Um, and so there are changes happening already. In fact, there are people who are using technology to create safety for people there there are girls who are involved in stem competitions that are writing apps to help people be able to keep safer on the streets there are laws being passed to help reduce the risk of people having to stay silent there are i mean in new york there was a law they passed where um, they, they're making sure that if you're a hotel worker, which is a really high risk for sexual assault, that you have now a panic button that you carry with you at all times. And that has to be, you know, I don't remember the date, but they have a deadline that they have to have those by. Um, and also the changes are happening in terms of, you know, there there was a conversation about, is it ever time for women to be a president? Will a woman ever be elected a president? And, you know, when they do surveys now, there are many people who say, yeah, it's very reasonable for a woman to be president. It's more about qualifications than it is about gender. So the culture can change. Yeah, those are all that's great points. Because, and not just president um, of the country, et cetera, but presidents of corporations and more women in leadership roles that are just day to day around us. And as we see that equality, is that what it it's going to take. I mean, that just the parity of that power that has always been different between men and women. If that equals out, is that when we start to see a little more 
norm, a new normal? That's a really good question, Gary. And the research has shown in terms of business organizations that when there is diversity of a team at every level, there's a much reduced rate of sexual harassment in those organizations in addition to them being, in general, more profitable than their counterparts. That's awesome. So, <laughs> yeah, so that that's true. Um, Dr. Sanday's research, and there, there were corroborators of, of that research that have found that, yes, indeed, when there is more equity in a society, there is less violence. That is great to hear that those changes are are coming and have been made already. It's just wonderful. Hey, we're going to run out of time here, Christine. Any last things we need to either say twice or you want to point to about the book or just say uh, about, you know, the Me Too movement in general or life beyond Me Too? Yeah, I really do want to encourage people to go ahead and get the book and share it and also to... Think about for yourself, you know, what's your story? And if there are people who are carrying their Me Too stories and haven't shared them, uh, there's power in letting that story be known to somebody who is safe to you um, in, in being able to, to take a Brene Brown researcher. Dr. Brene Brown says that shame exists in a Petri dish and if if it's shared, if we t- if we share it and have a share the story with a collab a c- compassionate listener, that kills the opportunity there for shame to grow. Ah. And so, if you've got a story, find a safe person to talk to. And I wish we had more time, but I just thank you so much for inviting me and. Oh, absolutely. I'm so glad you came in to, to share this. And like you said, the sharing uh, can dispel the, the problem. Uh, and so that's why I think the Me Too movement has been so powerful. The, the sharing helps. Yeah, it it doesn't cure it, and it hasn't changed it yet, but it, is, it has started the ball rolling. Thank yeah, you. I do have suggestions in the book for, for healing, too. Yeah. And yeah. if you can't relate, I have some suggestions for the guys out there who just can't relate. That was another entire topic, could be another show, is how the males uh, need yeah. to react to this. Thank you. Hey, we have been talking today with Christine Rose. Thank you so much, Christine, for, for coming in today and sharing. Uh, gosh, she's an author, a business executive coach, and like I said, the book is called Life Beyond Me Too. Christine, thank you so much for coming in today and sharing your insight. Thank you, Gary. If you'd like to hear this interview again, it will be available on Podcast One and Apple Podcasts within a few days. Just search Spotlight with Gary Scheip. I am Gary Scheip. Thanks for listening today. We hope you've learned something new. Join us again next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference in our community. Now let's take a peek around Puget Sound with Garrett Britton and see how you can give back. This is Garrett Britton with a Sunday morning shout out. This week's shout out goes to Wonderland Child and Family Services. Wonderland Child and Family Services is a nonprofit organization and early intervention agency serving more than 250 families monthly in North King County and South Snohomish County. Wonderland is dedicated to helping children ages three and under with developmental delays or disabilities. They provide a strong and equitable foundation for children and their families with diverse needs and abilities to flourish 
years through therapy, education, advocacy, and resources. Wonderland envisions that children of all abilities and backgrounds are celebrated for their unique gifts and contributions, have the skills and confidence to reach their full potential, and are active and valued members of thriving families and communities. A recent statistic showed children participating in the program for at least six months achieved significant gains in skills, and 97% of parents and or caregivers increased their understanding of their child's development and increased their ability to promote skill development for their child. Wonderland's board of directors and staff have established a set of core values that serve as the cornerstone of their rolling strategic plan for sustainable growth so that they may always serve more children and serve them better. Board staff and volunteers alike embrace these values in their daily work to improve the lives of children with developmental delays and disabilities in our community. Direct and indirect support for Wonderland children and families comes from a team of 40 staff members, 15 board members, more than 70 volunteers, countless grantors and donors, four supportive school districts, as well as numerous city, county, and state representatives. To get involved, make a donation, or learn more about Wonderland Child and Family Services, visit Wonderland kids.org.